On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Dr. Stephanie Estima to give you the complete breakdown on how to apply keto for the ladies out there. Let's do this. without doing labs and I see full value in doing labs, but a very crude measurement of whether or not your testosterone is normal is this week you should see a change in your libido. Your interest in sex should go up. Like, you know, I often joke, like I find myself like chasing my partner around the dining table. I'm like, let's go, you know, because this is the time where your testosterone's peaking and you should, you know, mother nature, she's like a wily smart minx, right? If you are having sex ahead of the time that you are ovulating, the chance that there is going to be a sperm and an egg that are able to meet for fertilization is going to be, you know, a higher. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. I hope you had a wonderful Valentine's Day weekend with love and abundance and great times and happy Valentine's Day to you. The previous episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we had Dr. Mindy Peltz. That was last Friday, just a few days ago. And she broke down the science of fasting for women, how to do it if you have a monthly cycle, how to do it for postmenopausal women, the six styles of fasting. That was an episode dedicated to the ladies. Today, we have another episode dedicated to the ladies, courtesy of Dr. Stephanie Estima. We totally geeked out on this episode. She has an amazing story and she'll share that in the beginning. And some of the things we get into today is what your period says about your health, your hormonal report card. She says your period is the lasso of truth. So we'll talk about that, about her new book, The Betty Body, which by the way, comes out tomorrow. We have a link for you to get it, pre-order it today. It comes out tomorrow. It's a complete breakdown on how to achieve the Betty body, which is going to explain how to do this the right way for the ladies out there. No matter how old you are, what cycle you are in your life, she put together a great book and she also has a great podcast called The Better Podcast, by the way, which I'm going to be a guest on very soon. We get into diving into the menstrual cycle. So this was super fascinating. I actually got so much from her research that I was inspired to include it in, in my new upcoming book, Keto Flex, which is gonna be available soon. But we give you, she gives you a week by week breakdown of how to apply and, and change your keto protocols, fasting protocols, depending on your time of the month. So we give you week one breakdown, week two, week three, week four. We also talk about the importance of listening to your body. How do you develop this relationship and how every woman is unique and different and beautiful, how to track your monthly cycle. And then of course, we have not forgot about you amazing, beautiful postmenopausal ladies. We get into that as well. We talk about how postmenopausal women can be more insulin resistant and some things you can do to really overcome that and why it's important to build more muscle and how to do that during this time 
of your life. So I cannot wait to bring her on. Before I do, I want to thank you so much for choosing the Keto Camp Podcast. You have helped us achieve top 15 status in the alternative health category of podcasts in the United States. We couldn't have done that without you and your support and you pressing play each week. Thank you so much. If you're brand new to the podcast, hit subscribe. We release a brand new episode twice per week. We're committed to educating and to inspiring 1 billion people on planet Earth. I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is an interesting review. I wanted to read it today. It's a five-star review from Crazy Whack and Funky, and uh, it's actually titled Anti-Keto, But a Fan. I personally am pretty anti-keto. However, I really appreciate and respect all opinions and views and love learning about all the science and understanding all different aspects of health and what works for some people and what doesn't. Thank you for your info. I actually love that. I love that you're open and not closed-minded and you're you're choosing some of the, the science that we're, we're sharing here on the podcast. And maybe one day we'll convert you to give keto a good shot and you could experience what I call the great land of ketosis. But I wanted to say thank you for leaving that review. I really appreciate it. Thank you for pressing play and taking the time to leave that rating and review, which really does help the show grow. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so on Apple Podcasts. And when you do, we will give you a gift. I have a Keto Flux cookbook, which retails for $21. You will get that for free, which includes 21 fat-burning recipes for keto. You'll get that for completely free just by leaving the show a rating and review and take a screenshot of that and then submit that to support at ketocamp.com and we'll reply with a digital downloadable link to get that cookbook today. I want to briefly take a break here and let you know about my favorite coffee in the world. Look, I'm a coffee snob for good reasons because the right coffee source can be healing to the body, can reduce inflammation and result in weight loss. The wrong coffee beans could actually increase inflammation, cause weight loss resistance and sabotage your keto results. There was a recent study in the Canadian Journal of Physiology and Pharmacology that showed caffeine intake from coffee beans could actually increase fatty acid production and help the participants produce more ketones. Most coffee beans are loaded with pesticides and contaminants and even mold. This is why I love my friends over at Purity Coffee. Hands down the best coffee beans I have ever tried. I have my delicious cup of Purity Coffee in the morning with some grass-fed ghee and MCT oil, and it turns my brain right on and helps my body produce ketones. Purity Coffee is organic, pesticide-free. These beans are specialty grade, and you could get this coffee shipped straight to your door in nitrogen-flushed bags, roastery fresh. Since you are a listener to the Keto Camp Podcast, we have worked out an exclusive coupon code for you to check out Purity Coffee. Head over to www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use Keto Camp at checkout to get 10% off your order. Again, that is www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout for 10% off your bag of coffee beans. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. All right, let's dive in to how to do keto for women with Dr. Stephanie Estima. Dr. Stephanie is a big-hearted, 
chiropractor with a special interest in functional neurology, brain optimization, weight loss. Dr. Stephanie studied neuroscience and psychology before becoming a doctor of chiropractic. She has been in practice for over 16 years where she is helping people achieve extraordinary health in Toronto and all across the world. She's the host of Better with Dr. Stephanie. This show is for high-performing women who want to have better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. Let's bring on Dr. Stephanie Estima. Dr. Stephanie Estima, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. I am thrilled to be here, Ben. I think we're going to have a really fun conversation today. We were just geeking out offline and we were just chatting away seven minutes, eight minutes, and we, we got to hit record and get this conversation started. I love what you're doing. Your work is so good. You go so deep into the science and you have some great analogies. So we're going to talk, this episode is going to be focused all around keto and fasting for women. But if you're a guy watching or listening, this applies to you as well because your partner, your friend, you know somebody who's a woman who's doing keto and you could actually help educate them and understand them better. So we'll get to that. But I want to start with your story. I know a little bit of your background and your training, but what got you involved with what you're doing today, Stephanie? Well, I think that I started off, like many people in the keto space, very interested in the diet and the effects that it can have on brain health and brain metabolism and clarity of thought and focus. And my training is as a chiropractor. And in my private practice, I had a special interest in functional neurology. So when the keto diet started getting more notoriety, I was very excited about this proxy for helping with brain health. And in my, you know, in sort of the early days of my keto experience, I did keto just like everyone else did, you know, it was like the bacon, butter, burgers and repeat, right? It was like the tubs of sour cream and all that. And I started noticing a pattern with my patients in the clinic, my patients were kind enough to let to be my guinea pigs. And I was, you know, formulating a plan. And what I started noticing, and we were just chatting about this in the pre-chat, was husband and wife couples that would do it together. The male, you know, the guy would be like, you know what, Dr. Steph, this is the best. Like I just, like this week I dropped like 10 pounds. And you know, the, the wife is sitting here going like, we've had the same food. We've been doing the same activity and I've dropped two. Right. So at first I was like, oh, she must be, you know, not following it. Maybe she's, you know, checking in some like, you know, sneaking in some snacks or something. And then that pattern kept repeating enough for me to say, okay, something is going on here. There's a pattern uh, between men and women that are different. And so I started, you know, and there's a whole backstory. I don't know how long you would like me to go into this, but I myself personally, even though I was doing the keto diet, got great results in terms of my own like focus and productivity and how I felt it changed my body. I was also in the background dealing with a lot of menstrual issues. So like my period very openly and honestly and transparently was just like a gong show for, if I'm being totally honest, like decades. And I really, as someone who really valued you know, successes in terms of like degrees and knowledge and, you know, running a successful clinic, I always would 
treat myself like men. I would do keto like the guys would. I would see some of my, you know, mentors, whether that's up close or from afar, go jumping into a five-day fast. And I would say, well, like if Mark Sisson is going to do that, like I want to do that. I want to do a five-day fast. And obviously Mark Sisson is not a, a woman, you know, but I am. So I would jump into those things and I would force my body, force my physiology to follow this without any, you know, consideration for, you know, my menstrual cycle or that I was a woman. I I like to forget that. And it really wasn't until for me personally, anyway, I had a trip over into Europe several years ago and I was in Italy with my family and my friends. And on that trip towards the end of it, we were there for several weeks and and towards the end of it, I got my period. And normally that would be like the worst thing. Like I'd be in the hotel room with the Advil, with the eye mask on, like no one talked to me, but it was the most graceful and peaceful and just honestly glorious. Like it just kind of came in, she did her thing and then she left. And you know, at first you might, when you hear that, you might say, well, it's Italy, like everything's better in Italy, right? <laughs> like, you know, like the coffee's better, the pizza's better, everything's better. But I, I also knew there was a part of me that also knew that if I, if my body could do it in Europe, you know, it could also do it in North America. Like I could also bring it back home and figure out what were some of the environmental key players and what were some of the internal environmental key players that I could be manipulating to help make this a reality. So you know, kind of went, you know, with my patients, like my guinea pigs, as I said, tried to play around with this idea of keto cycling in accordance with your menstrual cycle, which is now sort of my, you know, big body of work. And what I want everyone to learn is that women, of course, you can do keto, of course, there can be a therapeutic intervention, I like to say a 28 day or, you know, like one full cycle of like pure ketosis. And then from there, we can start to modulate your macronutrients so that you are matching it up with where you are in your cycle. And, you know, I'm really happy to say that that was my trip to Italy was several years ago. And I love my menstrual cycle now. It's something that I used to feel like was my arch nemesis. It was like a punishment for being a woman. And now it's just something that I celebrate. It feels great. I feel wonderful all times of the month. There's no PMS. There's no, you know, bloating. There's no sleep disorder, any of the things that women typically deal with. And I really want to share this with, you know, not only my patients who benefited from this and I have, but with, with the world. Mm, I love that. I love that you were the first guinea pig and your patients were the guinea pig. Originally an N of one, but then it, it expanded into my practice. <laughs> so what you teach is first, we are, you are doing strict ketosis. You're resetting the hormones. You're teaching your cells to burn fat instead of sugar. And then you practice this keto cycling. And we're going to get into different variations and what time during the cycle, during uh, away from the cycle, we want to do specific things. We're also going to talk about perimenopausal and postmenopausal. So we're not forgetting about you ladies. Before we get into that, speak more about a quote here. Bleed is your hormonal report card. (laughs) What does your period say about your health? What are some specific things that it says? Yeah. So actually I have a, in, in my book, we, it's called the Betty body chapter. I believe it's chapter three. I call it, you know, your period is the lasso of truth. So of course there's like a wonder woman reference there because I love wonder woman and it's true. Your period is basically your hormonal report card for the month. And what I want women to learn, if there's nothing else that you learn from this conversation or from any of my teachings is that your 
menstrual cycle, like, so your bleed week is going to tell you about the hormonal status that you have in your body. So very similar to, and there, there have been institutions that have designated your menstrual cycle as a vital sign for women. So in the same way that if you were to go to a hospital, they would look at your respiratory rate, they would look at your oxygen saturation, they would look at your blood pressure. For women, I think what is also important that we need to be considering is our uh, another vital sign that we have that tells us about the integrity and balance in our female uh, physiology is our menstrual cycle. So if you have very heavy bleeding, if you have a lot of clotting, if the week before your period you are, you know, you have sleep disturbances or you are moving moody and irritable, if you find that your digestion, if you are very you know, bloated and distended, your bowel movements are not moving the way that they should. Uh, if you're finding that you, uh, you know, your rings aren't fitting the way that they should, that you're bloated and all of that kind of stuff, those are signs and symptoms that your body is trying to tell you that things may not be completely balanced, that there's something that's gone awry. And my hope is that women are going to stop looking at their symptoms as, you know, punishment or that there's something wrong with you, but rather it is your body's way of talking. Like how great would it be if your liver could just send you a text and be like, Hey, there's like too many processed carbohydrates, girl. Like, can you like ease up on it? No, like that's not how our liver, you know, but we, but we have to learn to attune to the language of our body. So when your symptoms are presenting as sleep disturbances, mood and irritability, bloating and distension, etc., we can learn to say, okay, maybe that means that I might have a little bit, there's, you know, unopposed estrogen in the luteal phase of my cycle. And we can talk about what that means. Or maybe I am, if I'm not regular enough, or I have like, you know, thick hair, in my on my chin or on my chest or I'm losing hair in my temples that might be a sign that my body's telling me that there's too much testosterone and whether that's not being aromatized to estrogen or what have you we want to be able to be able to identify some of these common patterns that happen in the female population as it relates to hormonal derangement and dysfunction and be able to appropriately respond to her Mm, that's so empowering. You know, my, my girlfriend, Natasia, she, when we first started dating five, over five years ago, she was on the birth control pill. And the reason her doctor put her on the birth control pill since she was a teenager was because of her painful periods. But that's putting a Band-Aid. Why not look at the cause of it? And when you could attack the cause. So eventually, you know, I, I shared some information. I, I educated and she got off of it. And she was able to reduce her insulin spikes, reduce her glucose spike, do some intermittent fasting, and the periods improved. And that was so empowering for her. And what you're sharing is so empowering for anybody who's listening, who has a cycle and who gets all those symptoms every single month. That is not a requirement. You could have it, like uh, Dr. Stephanie said, it could be a pleasant experience where every month you don't have to dread it. It doesn't have to destroy you. You could continue on with your life. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, that would be pretty cool for a liver. The, the soccer mom organ liver could be like, hey, what's up with all that alcohol, man? You're beating me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need a break. Cut it down with the Chablis, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned briefly that uh, you have a new book out and uh, everything that you're going to be teaching today is from the book and you have it in a step-by-step -step system. So it's actually coming out tomorrow, one day from today. Speak a little bit about the book and then where they could go and order it. Sure. So the book is called The Betty Body and you might be thinking like, what? 
who is Betty and why is it a Betty body? Um, I, like you, Ben, I have a podcast. Uh, the podcast is called Better. And we started calling the fans of Better our Bettys. So, you know, tends to, we have a big female audience. Uh, a lot of clinicians listen to the, to the pod as well. And we just started calling our fans Bettys. And it was interesting that it, it, was, it was unintentional, but it became the sort of sticky name we had people reviewing the podcast let's say on itunes or what have you and they would say i'm a betty too i'm so happy to be a betty and i want to be a betty and so i was like oh there's something here so i named the book after all the women who are you know they want to double down on learning and learning how to be better and it's not about being perfect that's the other thing so i tend to attract the type a personality you know overachieving woman because that's who i am <laughs> you know that's like my own you know healing journey is to sort of shed that perfectionism cloak that i've held on to for so long and that's actually why i named the podcast better not best you know it's like it's just about what can i do tomorrow or today that's going to make just like move me like a squeak like just like a little nanometer you know a forward because that's what it's all about right in terms of you know we all want to maybe you know a goal might be to lose weight but it's the learning about yourself during the weight loss process that actually is the thing that keeps the weight loss sustainable it's not about doing the 600 calorie you know diet and you're working out for three hours a day like no one's going to be able to maintain that right so i really want to think about how we can play the long game with women and so the betty body and then the subtitle my favorite i shared it with you uh, before it's uh, epic shared away <laughs> a kiki goddess's guide to to balanced hormones, intuitive eating, and transformative sex. Everybody wants that. <laughs> yeah, everyone wants that. And well, th- and this is the other thing, you know, we can, you know, maybe we don't talk about it on this podcast, but in the book, I talk about how the, you know, sex and orgasms and just the pursuit of pleasure, whether it's sexual or otherwise, is a very important thing for women to consider. Again, when we talk about vitals, like you have an orgasm, all of your vitals improve, right? Heart rate improves, like respiratory rate improves, oxygen sap improves, all the things improve. Your, you know, your pain tolerance, if you're someone who has, you know, pain and menstrual cramping, like right ahead of your bleed week, you know, having an orgasm has actually been shown to reduce your perception of that pain because it increases is your pain tolerance. So there's, even though, yeah, so there's a lot of ways that we talk about female specific ways that we can improve our hormonal report card, which is our period. Yeah. Hormonal report card. Well, I love that. I love what you shared about better and the Bettys. It's so, so cool that they, that you have that, that community and you're so right. I always talk about, and then we have the keto campers here, right? You have the Bettys, we have the keto campers. I, I always speak about competition and how, you should not compare yourself against anybody else. You know, real people who are world-class, who are getting amazing results, they don't compete against anybody except who they were yesterday. They just beat yesterday. They are a small percentage better each day, like you were mentioning. And it's these small little tweaks that I believe lead to giant peaks. And it doesn't have to be go big or go home. You know, I, I love going big and I love having big goals, but it's really these small tweaks that get you there. And it's really not about hitting the goal, at least for me, it's about who I have to become, the people I need to help throughout that journey of hitting the goal. So our message resonates with each other so much because I am all for that. And uh, I can't wait to be on your podcast, the better uh, podcast very, very soon. And uh, where's the best place to get the book, by the way, before we continue? Oh, you can, I mean, you can get it on Amazon. You can go to bettybodybook.com, you know, anywhere where you buy, you know, you might buy books online is going to be available there. 
Awesome. So if you're listening to the podcast on the release day of the podcast, it's coming out tomorrow, but you could pre-order it today. We'll put all the links and resources down below. We have Rachel. Shout out to Rachel, who's on our team, who puts all, the, all that together for us. Okay, let's get into Keto for Women. Let's talk about the cycling women. What are some things to consider? Go as deep and geeky as you'd like for the cycling women doing keto. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the permission to geek out. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we think about women who are still in their reproductive years, and this includes perimenopausal women as well, we want to be thinking about some of the different hormonal variations or the di- ever-changing hormonal milieu through these four weeks. And I say four weeks, understanding that some women, some of us are not exactly 28-day cyclers. You may be 29, 30, 32, 26, 27. You know, I'm, I'm breaking it up just for simplicity in terms of seven days, okay? So when we think about the first week of our cycle, this is usually the onset of the bleed, right? So this is the bleed week. And when we think about the hormonal landscape here, we know that most hormones have gone on vacation. So we have estrogen very low, testosterone is not there. We have uh, luteinizing hormone, progesterone's on vacation. The only hormone that is really still around is follicular stimulating hormone and FSH as it's abbreviated, follicular stimulating hormone, FSH. Uh, Her job is really just to continue to develop the follicle because there's going to be one lucky egg that is going to be released or developed that month for release. So this is a wonderful week for a traditional ketogenic macronutrient breakdown. So the way that I structure keto, and it might be very similar to yours, Ben, I'm not sure, but for women, I don't like the bacon, butter, and burger and repeat, right? I really do like there to be a lot of plant-based. So when you're sort of formulating and building your plate, you should see a plate of green leafy vegetables, ideally. So a lot of cruciferous vegetables I talk a lot about the brassica family and the value that, you know, consuming things like cauliflower and bok choy and broccoli and turnips, all of this huge, bra- the sulforaphanes and there's compounds inside uh, the brassica family that actually help with estrogen, help the liver to detox, help with estrogen elimination. So for a woman, a classical ketogenic protocol for her in that first week, in that bleed week might be 70% fat about 20% protein, and then the fill is going to be carbs. So about 10% of that's going to be carbs. But we have to also remember that quantity and quality, and I'm sure you've talked about this on the pod many times before, people are like 70% fat, like, but you know, really like two tablespoons of olive oil are going to get you there. You know, when we think about the caloric value of the macronutrient fat. So we want to think about 70% fat, Protein as a general rule, when we're thinking about building our plate, the protein is about the size of your palm. And then the carbohydrates, of course, if you're having things like green leafy vegetables, very nutritionally dense, but not necessarily calorically dense in the way that fat might be. So I love that for the first week in that the first two weeks, actually, of your cycle, we call this the follicular phase because it's all about developing the follicle you are much more resilient to macronutrient restriction. So a 70-20-10 breakdown, 70 fat, 20 protein, 10 carbohydrate, you're essentially restricting carbohydrates in that week. So your body is very, it's much more suited for a macronutrient restriction. It's also a nice week to fast. So if we, I'm sure you've talked about fasting on the pod as well. I love, depending on the hormonal presentation of the woman, I talk about all the different types um, in the book, but this might be a nice week for 
for either an intermittent fast or a several day fast. You can kind of, if you're new to fasting, this would be a wonderful week to try it because we don't have progesterone, uh, which is our hormone that we see in the luteal phase. She's not around yet. And that progesterone stimulates your appetite. So it's going to be much easier for a woman to fast in the first two weeks of her cycle than it is in the, in the latter half. That's a big tip right there. So if you want to start fasting or complete a, a block fast three or more days, it's the first two weeks of your cycle that you can really maximize it and be strict with ketosis. So brilliant. Continue. Yes. So as we finish up the bleed week, so we finish up the bleed, let's call it four, you know, for most women, it's like five to six days. And then now we're starting to move into that second week. And I just call this the week before ovulation, because when we think about the purpose of your menstrual cycle, it's not to bleed, it's to ovulate. So, you know, some Sometimes I think the nomenclature, we have it a little, like we name day one as the bleed, but really ovulation is the main event. That's actually the point of your menstrual cycle is to release an egg, whether or not you want a child, you know, like whether or not this is a goal of yours, that's what your reproductive system is designed to do. So in this week, we see a couple of hormones now starting to make their debut. The first is now we start to see estrogen. She starts to rise at towards the end of week one. And then she makes this astronomical, uh, the concentration of estrogen will go from, you know, in week one, I've seen it as low as like five picograms per deciliter. I was saying this to you in the pre-chat. And then in week two, I've seen it as high in some women as like 600 picograms per So we're going from five wow. to 600, right? So there's a huge change in the concentration of estrogen. And estrogen, when we think about her function, of course, it's a trophic, it's an anabolic hormone, it's designed for growth. So the reason why estrogen is increasing there is because we want to develop the follicle trying to get the follicle ready so that we can release the egg. The other hormone that comes up and kind of makes its like one and only debut is testosterone. Uh, well, not, not one and only debut. It's, it's constant throughout the cycle, but the peak is in this week. So we see testosterone peak. And I will often say, you know, without doing labs, and I see full value in doing labs, but a very crude measurement of whether or not your testosterone is normal is this week you should see a change in your libido. Your interest in sex should go up. Like, you know, I often joke, like I find myself like chasing my partner around the dining table. I'm like, let's go, you know, because this is the time where your testosterone's peaking and you should, you know, mother nature, she's like a wily smart minx, right? If you are having sex ahead of the time that you are ovulating, the chance that there is going to be a sperm and an egg that are able to meet for fertilization is going to be, you know, a higher. So the number one priority is survival. And that's what the body wants to do. So this is just to be clear, this is the days 14 to 21. Is that what you're referencing here? I No, a little earlier than that. So we, we ovulate somewhere between day 12 and 14 for most women. So I would say that we're right now we're talking about like day six to 13. Okay, six to 13. Okay, got it. So we see testosterone rising. And for women specifically, this is an important time. At, well, I mean, it's always an important time to be thinking about muscle health and bone health. But if we take a, a long lens, if we're thinking about longevity for women, we want to be thinking about bone density and we want to be thinking about muscle mass. So ladies, my perimenopausal ladies and my menopausal ladies, 
we want to be thinking about how we can keep your bones heavy and how we can at least maintain your muscle mass or improve upon it. And there's two ways that you can do it. One is through resistance training, right? So we're giving a mechanical stimulus to the muscle to grow it. The other is chemically, and we can do that through the diet. So if you are if you are having protein, this is going to activate some anabolic pathways. One is mTOR, the mammalian target of rapamycin, like super fancy name. All it means is like it's a growth pathway, okay? Yep. And if you are having, you know, a certain amount of protein at every meal, you're going to be continuously activating that. So I like in this week to bring the fat down a little bit and pump up the protein. So I really like to bring the fat down from 70% that we saw in week one, maybe down to 50 or 40%. And then protein is about 40% of your meal. And then I like to just like oomph up the carbs, just a squeak. Like I like to bring them up to 20% because when you combine protein and carbs together, again, like carbohydrates, like the hormonal response to that is insulin. Again, insulin, even though I think sometimes it's been like demonized, again, anabolic, right? So it helps with the thyroid. It helps to bring substrates, you know, energetic substrates into the muscle cell for growing it. Mm -hmm. So I love this week for you to be increasing your protein. And then the next week you switch it off, right? Because we don't want these growth pathways on all the time. Because when you do that, then you, you sort of lay the landscape for, you know, everything to grow. And we don't want things growing all the time, like cancer cells, and we don't want all those things growing. So we want to be able to, I'll steal this from Dave Asprey. I just uh, interviewed him and he talked about mTOR as like a spring. So like we can push down on the spring, you know, so we like restrict protein, restrict carbs, restrict carbs. And then when you have protein, you sort of allow the spring to pop up. And then again, you can start to push down on it again. So I, I thought that was a really nice an analogy. So I'm, uh, I will credit it where it's yeah. due. Shout out to Dave. That's a brilliant analogy. I love that one. Yeah. So that's week two. And then week three. So this is now after ovulation. So now we've ovulated. There's um, another hormone that comes up. It's called LH or luteinizing hormone helps release the egg from the follicle. And now the egg, like the queen she is, is just kind of hanging around waiting for sperm. Right. Yeah. But now the entire hormonal landscape is going to change. Right. So now we are less you know, what we talked about fasting and macronutrient restriction in those first two weeks, these second two weeks, not that it's impossible, it's just more uncomfortable. And what I have found with, you know, this is true for men and women, if something is uncomfortable, and you're asking someone to do it all the time, you know, like the the adherence to the practice is going to be much less than if it's a bit simpler, and a bit more easy to integrate into everyday life. So just keep in mind that you can still fast. And there are ways that I talk about in the book, that you can fast if you are, you know, someone who's estrogen dominant, or that you are androgen dominant, there are different, you know, uh, techniques that you can employ, but generally we like to like kind of back off on the aggressive fasting. We like to back off on the aggressive macronutrient restriction. So that's so that's two weeks before the uh, the bleed week, right? You want right. to uh, if you, so, for example, if they're doing if somebody's doing OMAD, right, the first two weeks, then you would kind of scale that back down to like a sixteen eight. You would do more of a, an aggressive. Uh, yeah, protocol. and I would even I would even scale it down to like you know sometimes the week before you know in week four, which we'll get to in a moment. I'm doing a twelve twelve because a sixteen eight is too much for me. So you might find as a woman that even a sixteen eight, and I find that that's very easy to do in the first two weeks. You may find, you know, depending on your stress levels, if you're homeschooling as I am right now, if you're, 
you know, working from home, you're spending hours and hours in front of the, you know, on Zoom calls and stuff, you may find that the 16-8 even might, can be a little like, overly aggressive as well. So for a lot of women, I'll say, you know what, just like, it's okay. Like give yourself permission to do a 14-10, like it's fine. Yeah. You know, like the, you're still getting a lot of the benefits that you would on a 16-8. It's just, you're just allowing yourself a little bit more flexibility. And for women in general, we want to be cognizant that we are much more sensitive. Like if we just think about the the mitochondrial concentration in the ovaries, it's 100,000 mitochondria per cell. So you compare that to a hepatocyte, which has 2,000 mitochondria, you, you know, a myocyte, like a, a cell in the heart, you know, it's 5,000, 5,500, like your mitochondria are like your ovarian mitochondria are like your eyes. They are sensing the environment, whether or not you are aware of them doing that. So they are wow. very, very sensitive to changes in food and macronutrients, etc. So you don't want to piss them off. <laughs> you want to make sure that you are loving up on your ov- ovaries. So is that the highest concentration in the body? In the ovaries? In the bo- yes. What about for guys? Uh, for guys, I would, if I, I don't know this offhand, but I would, if I had to guess, I would say it would be the testes, but yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah. I want to find out. That's an interesting question. Okay, cool. Interesting. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know. Shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden, your fat-burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy, so you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day my dog takes it every single day so does my girlfriend and my mom this is how much i love the product if you want to get your bottle delivered to your door head over to purelifescience.com check them out order a bottle or two and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days that is purelifescience.com use the coupon code Ben four to apply a $4 off coupon. That is Ben B E N and the number four international shipping is available. Okay. Let's go back into this episode of the keto camp podcast. So we're in week three now. So now what I like to do is, so I like to return to a ketogenic uh, diet. So that's 70, 20, 10 that I talked about. However, I like to add in resistant starches. And I am sh- I don't know if you've talked about resistant starches on the pod before, but I am such a huge fan of them, because, especially for women, because what's happening in 
week three and into week four is now we see progesterone. So progesterone, progestation, pro-pregnancy, that's our pro-pregnancy hormone. She's going to stimulate your appetite. So she's going to make you hungrier. She is going to slow down your bowels. So you may find that you are a bit more distended, a bit more gassy, not as often like your bowel movements are not happening as often as you want. So we want to be thinking about, and then the other thing is cravings, right? So we always hear like women that are like, you know, chocolate's better than sex, you know, like I'll have the chocolate all day, every day. or some women also will say I have really salt, very salty cravings, like they want like the chips and that kind of thing. Umami cravings. Yep. Exactly. So a way to help ameliorate that is by integrating resistant starches into the diet. So really quick. Uh, no need to be quick. Go go deep into it. We, re- we really haven't covered res- resistant starches that much. So explain okay. what it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay. So a resistant starch, you know, if you think about the name, it's a starch that resists digestion. So when you are consuming a resistant starch, it cannot be broken down by the microbiota in the small intestine, which is where your carbohydrates typically are broken down, fats, all that kind of stuff. What happens is these starches go unmodified and they will go into the large intestine. And now this is going to be a food source for the microbiota in the large intestine. Why is this important? Because in the chowing down of the resistant starch, your microbiota are going to give you a gift. They're going to give you a short chain fatty acid called butyrate. So if you're someone who's interested in getting into ketosis, of course, an SCFA is going to increase your levels of ketosis, right? If you have more butyrate, you're going to be able to get into ketosis a little easier. But the great thing about it is it helps with your sleep. So how many women complain about sleep in week three and four, right? They're getting hot and, you know, uncomfortable and they're waking up and they have more anxiety. So it helps with your beauty sleep. It helps repair the lining of the gut. So if you are someone who naturally has digestive issues and you find that those are like that's amplified in the in that second week of this, uh, the second two weeks of your cycle, you're going to find that supplementing with resistant starches, what they, they've been shown to do, butyrates specifically, is it helps with the hyperpermeability in the gut. So mm-hmm. normally when we look at the gut lining, it should be like nice tight junctions, like food and stuff can't get through. But if you have been under stress or you're experiencing anxiety or sympathetic tone or like- Pesticides, an- herbicides, molds. All the things, yeah. all the toxins, all the things. So you're going to start opening up those junctions. So butyrate helps repair that. So those are two big things that women- complain about, right? It's like sleep and cravings. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I've noticed specifically with keto is if you're a woman who's tried keto, what I found is often about week, like week one, two, they're like, oh yeah, I'm so good. And then week three, they're like, I don't know what it is, but I just want pizza. I don't care. Uh I don't care how many fat bombs I have. It doesn't matter. I just want carbs. And that is a distress signal from the, the microbiota in your large intestine, because women are so sensitive to changes in the nutrient composition of the diet that your microbiota are like, we're starving. We're getting no carbs. You're going to eat a bowl of spaghetti if it's the last thing we do. But if you feed them the resistant starches, of course, now they're fed, they're happy, and those cravings go away. And the resistant starches, do they 
kick you out of ketosis? Do they give you a big glucose spike? No, the great thing about them is that they're not broken down in the small intestine. So they don't actually count, you know, if we're if you're counting your carbs, they don't count towards your carbohydrate intake. And um, free carbs, what? Free carbs. Yeah, free <laughs> carbs. I know, it's so great. I will say you can get this almost. So I typically use like a green bananas or a green banana flour is a really good source of resistant starches. So if you have, if you know, like you put a green banana on your counter, like yeah. over the course of the week, it's going to kind of go yellow. And then if you leave it, it's like brown spots. And by the end of the week, it's black. So what's happening there is you're having resistant starches. Uh, they're becoming cleaved as the banana ripens. And that's what moves it from the green color to the yellow color. And of course, the yellow to the brown and, and the black. So green banana, or I actually like green banana flour, which is, um, I just put it in my shakes because it kind of has a banana-y taste to it. I heard I heard that you uh, used to say it was disgusting, but you had some people in your group actually enjoy it. <laughs> it's funny. I hide it. Okay. So I hide it in my shakes. So I've, I've run this keto, ketogenic program for several years. And I can't remember how it came up. I was like telling some, like maybe as a new member, I was like, oh, you don't want to drink it in water. It's like gross. And I had so many members like, oh my God, that's like the best way. I love drinking it that way. So I don't like it in water, but I go with what the market tells me. So like, you know, my clients were like, this is great in water. So you can have it in water. I hide it in a shake, but it's, it, that's like a personal. <laughs> right. So whatever your preference is, go, you know, give it a shot. What else? What are some other resistant starches? Uh, green plantains. So like cousin of the bananas, raw potatoes as well, or raw potato starch. So you can get the starch, which is very, like you can find that in any grocer. And, and you can even have even cold rice, truly. Like when we, you know, heat up rice, we are cleaving all of those starchy bonds, like all those carbohydrate bonds, right? But then when you take the rice and then you put it in the fridge, there's like a crystallization process that happens and you form resistant starches. So a really nice thing for women, especially women who have trouble sleeping or, you know, maybe they're perimenopausal and they, they've been under like chronic low grade stress. And by that, I mean like child rearing and sleepless nights. And many of us right now are homeschooling because schools are closed. And, you know, there's a lot of stress happening, a little bit of cold rice with maybe, you know, some MCT or olive oil or something in the evening is actually, you know, the rice will, it's going to kick you out a little bit of ketosis, but then you'll get right back into it over the course of the evening and it's going to help you sleep. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing. So how much is this little rice? What would you recommend? Oh, I'd probably say like a quarter to a half cup of rice. Yeah. Like a nice little snack. That sounds good. I want some right now, actually. (laughs) Any other sources of resistance starches that you like? Those are kind of the big ones. If any other come to mind while I'm talking, those are the ones that I recommend the most. And then the last, the last part of the cycle is for the fourth week. So this like peak week, right? It's like do or die. We are having a baby or we're not. So progesterone reaches her peak here at about day 21, day 22. So right at the beginning of week four. And I actually, if you were to do a blood draw on a woman in this week, you will find absolutely everything is down. So you will find her blood glucose, glucose levels are down. Her amino acids are down. Her glutathione, her vitamin D, like all of the things because your body is literally taking all of your substrates for energy and nutrients and minerals and throwing it into your endometrium. It's like, we got to get this thing ready. That's fascinating. So if a woman did blood work that week and they, they see lower than usual numbers, that could be what's happening right there. Correct. Lipids are down. Like everything is down. Like your body is literally taking these things and putting it into the endometrium to be able to thicken up that lining. So this week I love to relax again on the keto and actually pump up the calories. So I do not think it is 
and I know this can be hard. Like some women are like, ah, more calories, like, you know, cause we're, we're so conditioned to caloric, like, you know, eat less, move more. It's like, we have to always calorically restrict. We always have to, yeah. but I promise you, if you push back against mother nature, you are going to clear out the cabinet. Like you're going to clear out the pantry anyway. Like your body will drive what it needs. It is going to find a way. So you might as well nourish your cells with more green leafy vegetables, with root vegetables, with squashes, you know, whatever is in season or whatever other foods that you like to consume rather than because, and this is what happened to me. Like I was like, no, I'm like, you know, I'm a little man. I'm going to like push through it. And then I would like eat the cookies, the chips, the crackers, you know, like cleaning out the Ben and Jerry's from the freezer. And I'd be like, what happened? Like, what's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong. There was nothing wrong with me. I was just not honoring you know, my female physiology, I wasn't honoring my own, you know, rhythm and cadence. So women, I like this week, again, to pump up the protein, pump up the carbs, maybe bring the fat down, but the total calories, I love to like, just, you know, pad another like 10 to 15% calories that the woman is normally consuming through the month. Mm, that's so good. I love that you shared that because that's what I tell my female clients as well. It's those five to seven days before the cycle to not worry about the calories. Actually, let's get out of ketosis. Let's have these, the squash, the sweet potato, the fruit. Let's intentionally get out of ketosis. And then once the cycle hits, that bleed week, you go right back into it. And you were probably miserable too when you were like, I got all the willpower in the world. I'm not going to have this. I'm going to stay in ketosis. And, you, and then eventually you just cracked. Right, exactly. And it's funny because women have, you know, I, I was in private practice for many years and I just like women, we like to blame ourselves, right? Like we do a program that doesn't necessarily take into consideration our cyclical nature. And if it doesn't work for us or we can't maintain it, we're like, well, it's me like something wrong with me, or I don't have the willpower, or I there's something broken about me. And I, my hope with this book, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, metabolism and body composition, I talk about training on your cycle, supplementing all the things. But my hope is that it's a bit of a feminist book in that women give themselves the permission to say, okay, like, I am not a little guy, like, I'm not just a smaller archetype of a man with, there's nothing wrong with me. I just flow differently. Like, I just have a different cadence than you know, my husband or my brother or my, you know, you know, my accountability partner, you know, whatever it is. And that forgiveness and that softening into the fact that we are different and we have to honor that difference and celebrate it. But it's a beautiful thing. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. Agreed. So, okay, that was such a masterclass for the cycling women. Is there anything else they should know before we move on to postmenopausal women? Yeah, my my biggest piece of advice is the more that you learn to listen to your body, the more you'll actually like, so I'm, I'm providing guidelines, but you might find that you really like to increase your fat in the week before your period. So these are, you know, good guidelines that I've derived from, you know, 16 years in private practice and thousands of women online. These are sort of the best practices that I have extrapolated from that data. But you might, you know, this that doesn't mean that you have to do it exactly my way, right? So you are an individual, unique and beautiful. So like, feel free to play, like feel free to like, say, I'm going to give myself like four months and play with a couple different things and see how I feel. Because that's actually you know, when you start to develop a better relationship with yourself and learn how to appropriately respond and care for yourself, I mean, that's the big goal, right? Yes, weight loss. Yes, all those things. But when you start to really just feel good in your skin, like that's, that's the thing. That's the holy grail that I think I would want all women to be able to, um, to achieve. Amen. Uh, that's, that's what it's about. It's not about weight loss. It's not about 
tackling a symptom. It's about getting to the cause and developing an in- this relationship with your body. I love that because I was, I was um, a personal trainer for many years. I used to own a CrossFit gym here in Miami, and I used to preach that whole eat every two to three hours, you know, get into a calorie deficit. And then I realized there's really, I'm doing my clients a disservice. It's a real distraction to what really matters, which is developing this relationship with the body, understanding cellular health. So I love that you teach it this way. A couple more follow-up questions before we move on to the postmenopausal ladies out there. What are some ways to track the monthly cycle? Are there some apps that you recommend? I use Clue. I know that there are many out there though. So there, I mean, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, God, this is like too much information. I don't know where to start. The first thing that you should do is get information about where you are in your cycle. And I didn't track my cycle for years. I had no idea. I was like, I think I'm supposed to like sometime in the next week. So it's really, you know, for you to know the days, right? Like how long is your cycle? How long does your period last? And then you can start tracking within the app often. Like Clue, I really like it. They have, um, you know, like what's your skin like? What's your bowel movements like? What's your like with your energy, like, so you can start tracking and you can start to understand your own pattern, right? So, you know, women, we all have pretty much the same parts, right? But we are all going to operate slightly differently based on our genetics and our environment and our experience in life and our epigenetics. So we want to be really having a good understanding of what our own cycle looks like. So the first action step for anyone is tracking your cycle and really understanding the ebbs and flows. And you'll start to be able to see as you're in your cycle, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm feeling a little bit more, you know, sprightly today. And maybe that's because I'm in week two and, that, you know, or maybe I'm feeling a little bit more weighed down and I'm tired. And I remember there was, it was a couple of months ago, I was like, I was doing leg, it was a leg day for me and I was training and I was like, I don't know what the hell it is, but I'm just bagged. Like I usually do, like I do my four sets and I do my thing. And I went, I was like, where am I again in my cycle? I went in and I was like, oh, day 27, Um. that's why. (laughs) But if I didn't have that information, I would have been like, what's wrong with you today, Steph? Like, why can't you just like punch out this damn workout? Like we planned this, you know, like you have this like internal narrative where you're like, just do it. But Uh when you have the permission to rest or you have the you have the understanding of where you are it can give you a lot more information in terms of what you need to do to respond to yourself appropriately Mm, well said so if that happened seven days later you would have been beast mode yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) one one more question is um okay what about the the cycling woman who did 28 days straight keto she got fat adapted she's you know having 0.5 0.8 ketones but she might be still insulin resistant type 2 diabetes and of course this is not medical advice at all but should they limit the carbohydrates and have more protein how would they do the keto the i call it keto flexing the carb flexing Yeah. So if someone has a metabolic, if there's some metabolic derangement, like there's type two diabetes, or even if she's pre-diabetic and she has, you know, metabolic syndrome and there's, I would still want to be imparting the therapeutic intervention of that 28 days. And she might want to repeat that. So that cycle can be repeated one or two. I have often found women uh, in my program when they have finished the first cycle, they're like, you know, I still feel like I need to go at this again. So you'll kind of know at the end of that month, you say, 
okay, I have a little bit more weight to lose or, you know, I want to, I want to improve my insulin sensitivity. So you can, of course, do your, you can redo your labs, like your fasting insulin, your fasting blood glucose. Uh, hopefully you have a CGM. So you have a bit more mm-hmm. uh, information. Which is a continuous glucose monitor. If you're wondering what that is. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So uh, you can also repeat that month. And I have often for women who are, you know, if they classify as obese based on their BMI or their waist to hip ratio, then we will repeat that 28 day again. And up to three cycles, I have found some women can find, you can find massive benefit up there. And then that's, you know, if we talk about three cycles, it's about 12 weeks, Mm -hmm. right? So if we're talking about, you know, becoming fat adapted, that's about the drop range. Like maybe it's eight to 12 weeks for most people is where we see that flexibility in being able to meander between being glycolytic and lipolytic uh, relatively simply. So you can do that, you can repeat it. And then once you are, you know, you've sensitized your cells a little bit more to insulin, and you'll know that by taking your fasting insulin. Uh, You'll also know that with your blood glucose as well. And you can also do challenges. Like I would give my um, clients, like we would do... um, either an oral glucose tolerance test, or I would just have them wear a CGM and then they would have a meal. And then we'd look every half hour, we'd take a look at their uh, blood glucose. So let's say that someone had like a preprandial or pre-meal blood glucose at like call it 85, you know, milligrams per deciliter, 90. At the two hour mark, I at, at least want their blood glucose to be under 140 at the very least right? Ideally, it's, a, it's back down to like 120. So it you can do little tests like that too, right? So you can like eat a meal and then you can look two hours later and say, okay, where is my blood glucose now? Is my blood glucose still up really high or is it starting to fall? So there's also little like little tests that you can do as well. Yeah, I love that. It's experimentation. So that's based off of an oral glucose test, not based off of just a regular meal. You can just do it with a meal. Like I would do an OGTT, but you can all, you can do it with meals as well. So you might have like maybe a carby meal. You can have like a protein and carb bolus and then sort of watch how your body responds to it as well. So you don't need to have like the, the, like the glucola is like the, it's like, oh yeah. Glucola. That sounds disgusting too. It's gross, but you can, but you can just have a meal and, and look at it that way as well. Okay, great. I hope I a- asked all the questions that the the, the cycling ladies want, wanted to hear. And if I didn't, I, I apologize, but I wanted to be really diligent with getting all the questions. So hopefully I got them all. Let's talk about the postmenopausal woman. How is she supposed to do keto? So this is a group that is near and dear to my heart. I love these ladies so much because I feel in many ways, the menopausal woman in society, we forget about them, right? Like we have all these words to like, it's like the spinster, you know, when we look in Hollywood, we don't see, I mean, maybe now I remember at last year, it was actually February last year when JLo and Shakira did the yeah. halftime show Trust and me. crushed it. And I was so excited because I was I followed JLo and both of those two women my whole life, you know, for many reasons. One, you know, Shakira is the same, like I'm Portuguese and Lebanese and she's Colombian and Lebanese. So she's like the closest kind of person to me that I've ever sort of come across in, in Hollywood. Do you speak Portuguese? I don't know. I, I, I can understand it, but if I, I don't speak it, no. Okay, just curious. And same with JLo. Like she was one of the first women. Like I grew up in like the Kate Moss era where it was like super thin, thigh gap was like the status symbol. And I remember when JLo was a, a fly girl. Yeah, she was a fly girl. I was like, oh my God, there's like a girl that looks, there's like a woman that looks at me. So she's now, you know, at the time she was like 50 maybe. And I was like, that is what I want 
when I turn 50, that's what I'm going to like, maybe not, I'm not, maybe not going to do the halftime show, but like, <laughs> that, you know, I want to, that's what I want to you know, aspire to, because I think as a society, we think, well, a woman is no longer sexual. She's no longer radiant. And I actually beg to differ because now if you like right now, I'm 43. So I know that I'm not having more kids. I have three children at home that I'm raising, but I'm still going to cycle until it's time for me to be menopausal. Right. But when you're menopausal, now that energy that you have been putting towards building of the lining every single month, now that can be used towards you know, you don't have to waste it. It's not wasted energy anymore. Now you can use that energy to create the uh, life or, you know, to follow some of the pursuits that you may not have been able to do when you were in your 30s and 40s because you were raising young children. So this is a wonderful time. Like women are, you know, we are beasts of creation. We are animals that, you know, it, whether you are creating, you know, a human, right? Like using your, you know, your anatomy to create humans, or you can use your body to create and call in the things that are really exciting to you that will fulfill you on many different levels. So I, you know, I love to look at menopause as this, uh, you know, this like golden years. So I wanted to just say that because I think that- I love it. Yeah, you know, in the movies, like we, like the woman's always like in a little sweater and she's, you know, not the right. sweaters, there, there's nothing wrong with sweaters, but you know what I'm trying to say? I like know what this. you're saying. My girlfriend's going to love to hear that. She preaches that same message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with her later. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. So there, but there are some metabolic changes that we see, right? So as a woman is moving through uh, perimenopause and into menopause, a couple of things that we see. The first is that we tend to become more insulin resistant. So what that means is that your cells are not as, uh, sensitive to the effects of insulin. So usually we see, we, what we start to see clinically is we will start to see an increase in her blood glucose without her really changing much. The other thing that we notice that sort of pairs along with that, it's related to it, is that her muscles also become resistant. It's called anabolic resistance. And what that means is it actually takes more for a muscle to grow uh, when she is 50 and beyond versus when she's underneath, you know, when she's like 42 or 32 or whatever. So does the testosterone decline along with that? Is that why? Yes, yes. So perimenopause sort of has two like general phases. The first is where women tend to, in earlier perimenopause, a woman will tend to be more estrogen dominant. So we start to see progesterone decreasing at about the age 35 and beyond, you know, progesterone in a woman will start to decrease. So that provides the opportunity for her to become more estrogen dominant. And that's all the PMS type of symptoms that we were talking about before. Now, what it flips kind of in the late 40s and into the 50s. So we have the first stage of perimenopause, estrogen dominant. Second stage is where everything starts to come down. So T starts to come down, estrogen starts to come down. And there's a whole host of symptoms that sort of go along with that. And with those things, with a decrease in testosterone, of course, you have to work harder to maintain what you got. So for a menopausal woman, a ketogenic diet is beautiful, 
However, we were talking, uh, if you recall, we were talking in that week too, how I like, you know, in testosterone in a, in a reproductive woman, when her testosterone peaks and her estrogen peaks, I like to pair that with more protein. I actually like to apply that cycling concept to a menopausal woman as well, because again, we don't want to have the growth hormone on all the time. So we want to sensitize the muscles to higher protein. It's like that spring that I was talking about. So we want to like let it go with like high protein and then bring it back down again for a week and then let it go and then bring it back down. So for a menopausal woman, it's very similar to what we talked about for a woman who's menstruating or cycling. But the only big difference is in that week four, she doesn't now need to increase her calories because there's no endometrium that's being built up. Mm. So she can protein cycle. So she can have one week keto, one week high protein, one week keto, one week high protein. So her insulin levels in terms of the food that she's taking in is going to remain relatively low. There'll be a little bit of a blip when she increases her uh, protein, but that's because we're trying to drive muscle protein synthesis. We're trying to get her muscles to grow. And hopefully she's also pairing those higher protein weeks with training. So I'm a really big proponent for resistance training for women of all ages, but particularly my ladies in menopause, even if you've never lifted a weight, start doing it. You could just use your own body weight to start. Because again, when we think about bone density and bone health, you know, resistance training or just using your own body weight is going to drive what we call the osteoblastic to osteoclastic ratio. So it's basically the cells that are involved in bone growth. Those are the blasts, the osteoblasts. They are going to outnumber the clastic cells or the the cells that are involved in breaking them down. So the more that you do squats or you take your dog for a walk, like anything that's weight bearing, you are going to drive more bone growth. And of course, you know, muscles and bones are sisters, right? So you are training your muscles. You're also going to be improving the density and the quality of your bones. And we've all had, or we've all heard of stories. I mean, my grandmother, this happened to her as well, like slipped and fell. It was like icy. She was, you know, in Montreal, like cleaning her little porch area, slipped and fell, cracked her hip, right? We want to avoid that. And when we see estrogen decrease in late perimenopause and into menopause, of course, Estrogen is trophic. It is, you know, we need estrogen to keep our bones dense. So while you may not necessarily have that naturally being produced from the ovaries anymore, you can improve your bone density through lifestyle changes like the resistance training and also getting your stress under control as well. Because after menopause, your main source of estrogen is going to be from your adrenal glands as well as your adipose tissue. So you want to make sure that your adrenals are are fortified and they're strong. Mm, that's so good. Okay, so is the goal on the protein, the high protein week to get out of ketosis? Is that what we want? Yeah, you don't have to be in. I, I don't believe that a woman should be in ketosis all the time. I agree. I, I actually, I, for men and women, by the way. I, I would agree with that as well. I think that there's there's a time and a place for therapeutic, like nutritional ketosis to be able to talk about, you know, to be able to induce that metabolic flexibility that we talked about, you know, for weight loss, for, you know, helping with the production of ketone bodies, et cetera. But I don't think that a woman... And, you know, to add on what you're saying, or a man should be in ketosis all the time. I think it's much easier for a cyclical approach to that in and out, in and out, so that we can continue to sensitize cells and to drive, you know, in in this case for women, uh, muscle, like lean muscle mass and bone density. So could you speak on, for those who are probably watching and listening who have 
been in ketosis, whether it's a guy or a gal for say over a year, they've been in strict ketosis right now. Could you really just map out the relationship between the thyroid health, right? T4 needs to convert to T3. What helps make that conversion? Insulin. Could you speak about when you're chronically low insulin on strict keto for too long, what that can do to the thyroid and maybe even slow down weight loss? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you're strictly keto and you're, when your carbohydrate intake is very low, you actually become a little bit insulin resistant. <laughs> you yeah, up, in a different way, yeah. In a different way, right? So we want to think about all the good things that insulin does do. So one of, the, one of the main things, as you correctly pointed out, is it helps convert our inactive thyroid hormone, T4, to T3. And, you know, the thyroid, when we think about it, it, it in the context of metabolic health, is sort of like the top of the pyramid. Right. If the thyroid goes off, like everything disintegrates. So you do really have to be thinking about all the different things that insulin does do. Like it drives bone density, it drives muscle growth, it drives thyroid integrity and health. So if you are someone who has been on a very strict ketogenic diet and you've found really great benefits up to it, you, what you may find over time is that you may start to actually slide back a little bit, that you may start to start to see weight gain creeping back up again or your brain fog or your energy levels. And so for many people, because they have had that initial like, well, when I first started keto, it was really good for me. I must be getting lazy. Like a lot of people will double down on the, you see this in all diets, by the way, like so, someone who goes vegan, they, or vegetarian in the first couple of months, they feel really, really great because, you know, partly because they're just having more plants than maybe they were before. But then over time, those benefits start to wane. So someone might say, well, what I have to do is I have to just become more vegan. I have to become just even more strict. Mm -hmm. So now I can't even have honey and now I can't even have the, and you end up absolutely decimating your metabolism. And the same is, I mean, uh, you know, I love, I have a lot of love. A lot of women tend to be vegan, but you know, when I look at lab work, I mean, this is yeah. a different podcast, but uh, I am very much pro animal products that are raised ethically, killed ethically, you know, grass, if you can, if you, if it's, you know, available to you to be having grass fed meats, grass finished meats, uh, free run poultry, all those things. I, I agree. I've seen a lot of labs too. And it's, it's scary. Even adding like just some grass fed ghee or some wild caught fish on a vegan approach could really make a big difference to your point. Yes, but coming kind of coming back to that keto, that person who's been on keto, the same sort of mentality can infect that kind of thinking. So we think, well, I felt really good in the first two months, four months, six months on keto. Why am I feeling? Oh, it must be because I'm, I'm, I'm becoming lazy or I'm not doing it the way that I used to. So we become more keto. And I think what I would like to maybe correct in that conclusion is maybe it's that you've run the course that the therapeutic intervention has had, and now you can become a little bit more flexible in your application of the ketogenic diet and your thinking. So yeah, if you're someone who's been on it for a year, maybe it's time to start cycling protein, like cycling your protein, cycling your carbs, cycling your fat. Yeah. Yeah, that's a wake up call for a lot of people, but it, it makes sense. You know, all of our, every one of our ancestors did keto. They were in ketosis because their environment, but they didn't stay there long term. Whenever they had the opportunity, they didn't look at their tribe and say, you know, we're keto. We don't eat that. No, they would eat the fruit. They would eat the tubers. They would have the honey and they would get out of ketosis. And that's the, the way we were designed to be. We were actually designed to cycle in and out of states of ketosis. And you just explained how to do that very, very well. What role, before we land the plane here on this awesome interview, you talked about stress, but what role does sleep play with all of this? Oh my goodness. It's the first domino. 
you cannot you cannot keto your way out of bad sleep like mm. you got you got to sleep that's good i agree yeah you, i mean i am such a and for women if we kind of want to keep this as a female it's yes. like female specific women actually have longer sleep cycles than men so by about 30 to 45 minutes uh, we tend to need a little bit more sleep especially around our period there's a lot of like along like around the initiation of men are like the menstruation because we are there's so much happening right like the endometrium thickening up and we're all the resources and there's a lot of like all your worker bees are working really hard to make sure that you're you're ready to receive a fertilized egg. So we need to sleep. This is true for men and women, Mm -hmm. but I am not a big fan of waking up early. And I know that I piss off a lot of people when I say that, but you have to break up with the 4am club. You have to break up as a woman, like sleep in because if you are not, and I know that that's hard and it's not always, you know, it's not always available. You may have young children or you're breastfeeding, you're, you know, you have a newborn up overnight, but I, I just love the idea of divorcing yourself from any one school of thought because there's some, you know, when you think about morning routines and, you know, you'll hear people say, I, you know, I wake up really early in the morning and I journal and I have ideation time and I go for an hour workout and I do this. Those are usually it's men who are talking about this. And yeah. if and if those men have children, it's the woman who's taking care of the kids while he's having this morning routine. And like all kudos to you, right? Like if that works for you and that works in the rhythm of your family, like, you know, and that's great. But a woman will hear that message. And there's not a lot of women, you know, women influencers or, you know, women of influence who are saying, hey, you know, like that's kind of sexist. Like for me, my morning routine when my children were little was my children waking me up. Like I'd have my little toddler, she'd kind of, you know, come into my bed and be like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And that was my morning routine, you know? So, and it's, and it's morphed over time, right? My kids sleep in now I can, I can wake up and, you know, get in a workout, but just to have this idea that as a woman, usually you're going to be the primary caregiver in your family and your morning routine and therefore your sleep is going to change with time. So, you know, sleep, the, as much as you can, you have to prioritize it, whether that means going to sleep earlier, whether it's sleeping in, whether it's like getting rid of your morning routine. So thank you for letting me go on that little soapbox because yeah. some people are just like, oh my God, what is she saying? But, you know, but it's, it's important for a woman to know that her she's not a man. Like she's not a little man. Like I'll give you an example. When I was in chiropractic practice, we were talking about, I used to be part of this mastermind and, you know, I would be among these great chiropractors, like these men that I would just absolutely like their brilliance, their intelligence, the change and the positive influence that they were making in their communities. And some of them were seeing like thousands of people a week. And it's because they had, you know, we, I had this like little secret nickname for them. They had like Cairo wives. They had wives at home who would do everything for them. They would sometimes be even the office manager in the, in the clinic and they would take care of the kids and they'd cook all the meals and all the things. And I didn't have a Cairo wife. Like I was the wife, you know, so I had to run the clinic and be the primary caregiver for my children. And while my clinic did very well, it was very successful. It was never like, I never saw thousands of people a week because it's just, I couldn't work that much. I had to be at home with my babies. So yeah. So like sleep is important, right? It's like, I'm never going to say sleep's not important every night. You need to, you know, there's a, a system called the glymphatic system, which is basically going to clean out all like the brain crud that you accumulate over time, the tile tangles, the beta amyloid plaques and all of that. 
But as a woman, you may find, especially if you have young children, that it may not necessarily be possible for you to sleep all the way through the night. You may adopt a biphasic model where you are sleeping, you know, partially through the night, you wake up maybe to breastfeed or, you know, soothe the child who's had a nightmare, and then you can sleep in a little bit longer. But the, the point is for women is to remain, remain flexible. Yeah, sleep is the Swiss army knife of health. It's so true. Builds the foundation. And if you're waking up early to work out and you're sacrificing sleep, man or woman, you're doing it wrong. I agree. <laughs> Get the sleep and uh, you're going to, everything else will work that much more efficiently. When you, when you upgrade sleep, keto, the fasting, the supplements you're taking upgrade automatically. But when you are slacking on sleep, then all that can't be efficient. You're, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be stressed out. You're going to have higher levels of ghrelin. That's been proven. You're going to have higher levels of cortisol. That's been proven. And it's just not going to be fun. So I love that. I'm with you with that message, message even though I'm a guy. I do prioritize sleep. So this has been so much fun, Stephanie. Oh my gosh, we geeked out. And I'm so grateful for this conversation. I want to, before I ask you to share where they could look you up and all of your resources, I want to acknowledge you for just the work that you put out there for your, your book that's coming out tomorrow and uh, your podcast and just your your knowledge. It's, it's clear that you put a lot of effort, energy, and resources into just studying how the body works at a cellular level. And I love how you use analogies and anchors to really help people understand how this works because it could be could be a, a mouthful when you're talking about these scientific terms like mechanistic target of rapamycin and autophagy, but you break it down so well. So I'm grateful for your work. I want all the keto campers to go check you out and get your book. We're going to put links down below. What are some uh, social media resources that they could find you on? So I, you can find me on Instagram. So it's at Dr. Stephanie Estima. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-E-S-T-I-M-A. And I just joined Clubhouse. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm on there too. I don't know what's going to happen there, but everyone keeps talking about it. So I'm on Clubhouse. Uh, Stephanie Estima is my handle there. And uh, so those are kind of the two main social platforms that I'm on. And then you can always go to hellobetty.club, which is our... Uh, main membership site for uh, women who want to become Bettys. And of course, the podcast, uh, you can anywhere you listen to podcasts, anywhere you listen to Ben, uh, you can find me um, as well. We'll put all of that down below in the YouTube video and also the podcast. So go check out Dr. Stephanie, go get her book. You're going to love it. Even if you're a man, I can't wait to read the book and I'm a guy. I'm just going to geek gonna send out you on copies. it. Uh, show, show the don't you have the cover there? I want to show the YouTube, show the YouTubers. All right, my YouTubers. This Look is at that. what it looks like. So it's a beautiful photo of Dr. Stephanie in a nice dress with a pink background and it's got that killer subtitle. I love it. Thanks. Pink and purple, like my favorite two colors. So. I love it. Well, thank you for the conversation today. This is a lot of fun. I know the audience enjoyed it, so I appreciate you. I really hope you geeked out with us. Uh, she's so much fun. Go subscribe to her podcast. Go get her book. It's out tomorrow. Better Body Book. We'll put a link for that down below in the notes of this podcast. Go show her some love on Instagram. Go show me less, some love on Instagram. Uh, her Instagram handle is Dr. Underscore Stephanie. Mine is at the Benazadi. So if this was a helpful episode to you, if you got value from this, text it to a friend. Text it to somebody you feel like they could get value from this. Post it on your social media. And if you want to watch the video interview with Dr. Stephanie from this interview you just listened to, you could find that on our Keto Camp YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Keto Camp, and you could check out that video interview uh, now that you listen to it. I, I have found that repetition is the father of learning, and it really is 
several times. It needs to be repeated before it really sticks and lands. Uh, I also want to encourage you to leave the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And when you do, take a screenshot, send that to support at ketocamp.com, and we will reply with a gift, which will be my KetoFlex cookbook, which retails for 21 bucks. You'll get that for free. Support at ketocamp.com. Submit your review, screenshot of your review there, and we'll give you that gift. If you didn't listen to the previous episode of the Keto Camp Podcast with Dr. Mindy Peltz, there is a lot of synchronicity in those episodes. Go listen to that. It's the previous episode here on the Keto Camp Podcast where we talked more about fasting for the ladies out there. I want to thank you so much for choosing the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.